And talking travel with our travel guide, Sally Lucas, who is here. And Sally, uh, a very good afternoon to you. Glad that you could be with us. Away for the last couple of weeks, as all of our Lost on programs were. Yes, yes, but but, uh, we're all back. Well, sort of not normal, but we're back. You're back into our our little cosy studio (laughs) today. Our cosy studio for today. Now, Sally, today, Remembrance Day, big day across the world to stop, pause and reflect. And that's what you're following up today with our opening segment. I am, and I was listening on the way here this morning in the car when you were interviewing Matt McLaughlin, and, of course... I'm very familiar with the tours that he, he runs to the battlefields and he, he does some exceptional programs. Um, he's actually doing one that he's escorting himself too next year if anyone's interested because his knowledge of all these wars and their battlefields is phenomenal and that's in October next year to the Western Front. But there are other tours that he does operate as well. Um, obviously Ypres, as I said, the Western Front, he does Anzac Day tours to those areas as well as Gallipoli. Kokoda, Hellfire Pass, etc. Now, I have done the Somme just as a day trip out of Paris, and it was one of the most humbling, emotive days of my life. And I can understand when he was saying how emotional it is for people when they get there. And just the way he explained, which I hadn't even thought about, the fact that the parents or the wives or the you know mothers of all these men who died didn't get the opportunity to even visit their graves, and you, you forget about that because back in World War One we didn't travel like we do now. Yeah, I mean even now, not that we you want we want to sort of think of that too much, but even now you would at least have the opportunities. Well, I can save up some money, I can make the trip, the pilgrimage. Yeah, that's right. It just was not done in uh, in no. the 1910s. And when I went, it was a rainy day. It was miserable. We had umbrellas, and I was cold, and I just got goosebumps the whole day. I, I just every time something was explained to me or pointed out, and I thought these men were living in such horrible conditions. Forget me feeling a little bit cold and wet, like they were living like that months up to three years on end of this relentless war, you know. And I think you've got no idea until you're there. And you, it, even though now it's all green and lush, it's it's very hard to imagine how it must have been. I mean, we've seen movies, so we do know what it did look like or we've seen photos. And it's 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 quite phenomenal. Like one of the areas I went to, half the men, I think, or nearly half the male population of Newfoundland in Canada came across to also fight in the war. And we forget the Canadians were involved as well. It's not just us, even so we were very much involved, and, and the New Zealanders, and they were just mowed down, just about every man mm. one day. It was a surprise attack by the Germans. And when we went to this place where they were, there's no gravestones, no headstones. They, The women of Newfoundland just wanted them to be left and let the grass grow over them, the earth cover them. So it was a, a natural, if you like, mo- memorial to them. Mm. And they organised with a priest in France to have the beautiful pine trees that they grow in Newfoundland to be taken across to Europe and planted around this area, which looks quite small and you, you just can't mm. believe what, what happened. And I'm still getting goosebumps now as I'm talking about it. But just, just to see all those you know, gravestones, headstones, crosses, the big, huge, you know, memorials with all the names listed on them. Of you, just it's it disbelief almost that you that all this happened, you know, and that's such a long time ago. And of course, we were so involved. I mean, particularly, I think it would be so moving. I must admit, I would love to do an Anzac Day service to Villa Bretonneux, and um, which of course is you know, very famous for Australians. It's where it all came to an end in the end, due to our our. In, 
you know, our help and our wonderful general at the time that, that was able to help stop the Germans from advancing on Paris. So if you ever get the opportunity to do one of these tours, you know, particularly I, I haven't done Gallipoli or the other areas, as I've said, that I mentioned, but just that one alone, I, I just found it extremely moving if you're ever in Paris and you've got time, even just to do a day trip, if you haven't got time to do like a extensive four or five day tour, which will take you into Ypres and Belgium and, and do the whole lot. Just the day trip, it was so moving. I, I was, you know... Yeah, it's 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 just a, a fantastic thing to do, if if you're able to. Yeah, and that can be, again becomes part of a broader discussion too, Sally. If you you're on a, a tour, you can also weave bits and pieces of other things, day trips, oh, whatever. Yes. Um, I just wonder as well that because when we think of these conditions of how mm. horrible they were, mm. I just wonder that the the additional impact of being there as as you obviously mm. were on a day where the weather was just complete garbage mm. as well. Mm. I think so. Like I think if it had been a bright sunny day, I might not have felt as emotive as I did because I was thinking to myself, here, well, how can I whinge about being cold and yeah. wet when what they were experiencing was far worse on an ongoing basis? So, yeah, my it, umbrella's not covering all of my yeah, left arm. Uh, well, boo hoo. Exa- exactly right. Mm. So, no, it was a very moving experience. And even for my husband, Scott, because on his mother's side, she was. Um, from Scottish background originally, but English and her, all the men in, in her family were from the Northumberland Fusiliers. So, but they all survived, luckily, luckily. But we found exactly you know where their names were because there was they put the names of all the people who actually fought as well. So you can imagine how many you've got these huge like big sandstone edifices which have got all these names and what division they were in and so on. So it, it's it's just. Amazing. Yeah, and and so many of our, uh, our families are, have got a, a connection to our military past, and many to the particular mm. areas you're talking about now. So uh, maybe something all of us could uh, look at at some point. We did get a chance to intro you earlier, Sally. So I know we got a little bit more of talking travel today. Yes. A couple of other places we're heading to shortly. We're going to head to Spain and visit some of the UNESCO World Heritage sites. Olay, Sally. I know you're keen to. To jump over to Spain in a minute, you know, yes, I am. all of that. Um, but for folks that are maybe looking at travelling next year, some info out today uh, in in relation to the passport office. Now, apparently the um, the amount of folks wanting to travel far exceeded their expectations. I don't know what sort of modelling they were looking at, but surely, no. <laughs> come on. Um, do you, you know, know what? You you know what? I was going to say, you know what though, people should have done if they were smart? They should have thought while we're in the middle of COVID, if your passport was due to expire in the next 12 months, why didn't they just go and apply for it anyway? Thinking I am going to travel again once COVID finishes rather than waiting for it to finish and then try and get a passport. Well, to give you some numbers here, um, before 2020, yeah, um, anywhere between five to 9,000 applications a day. Now, during the pandemic time, that dropped to 2,000. Once everything got back up and running, how many do you reckon they had on their books per day? Try (laughs) 15,000. And they wouldn't have the staff to support it. No. So uh, Mm. the backlog continues. Again, if you're travelling next year. Please get in early. That's all I can say. Same with your renewals. Like you can renew your passport even after it expires. Like if it's expired, you can still renew it within that 12-month period after it expires and you don't have to go through as much rigmarole again. But, you know, the main thing is get in early, please. You can pay for an urgent search, but even that, you're still not going to get it as urgently. Once upon a time, if we did an urgent extra payment, you'd have it within a week. Mm. You know, that's not still not going to happen. So, you know, even with your urgent payment to get it done quicker, it will be done quicker, but not in a week. Yeah, it's it's so, ne- it, for, the, for the time being, anyway, it's the thing you have to do before you even, before you even listen to the next Talking Travel to get an before idea. Before you even think about booking, 
Just get your passport sorted, please. Anyway. Right. Once you've done that, you can go to Spain. Yes, exactly. Um, now, you might not know this, but Spain is one of the most well-represented countries on the UNESCO World Heritage List. It's got 48 sites, which is quite incredible, isn't it? And this is just, I'm going to go through the well, some people considered to be the top seven. And I was looking at them today. I thought, oh, I've been to five of those. So how lucky am I? So you combined the list, did you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't actually. But one of them is the old town of Segovia, which is really quite magnificent. It goes back to Celtic times and it's a beautifully preserved hilltop town. And it's got lots of important historic monuments there, such as an astonishing Roman aqueduct that dates back to 50 AD. You know, you forget how old Europe is. Like we're so young out here. You know, you look at these structures and it's so well preserved and it's 728 metres in length and up to 29 metres in uh, in height. So you can't miss it because it cuts right through the the base of the town. And they've also got a fortified stone palace there that it's just amazing. It just sits out on this rocky crag surrounded by sheer cliffs and it goes back to around the 11th century. And there's also a 16th century Gothic cathedral. So that's just one of the ones you can do. The other one I loved was in Cordoba. And it's very historic as well. But what was interesting about it, when you went to the um, cathedral there, it was shared by all religions. Couldn't we learn today? I mean, that they shared it. So people who... Well, you who, come in from 10 to 12, from, you'll have 12 to 1 or whatever. <laughs> you have Muslims using this same church. They shared it because they were very expensive buildings to build. I mean, this is the 8th century we're talking about after the Moorish conquest. But there was a lot of mosques and countless palaces and buildings were built around that time. But this was just... I just thought it was amazing that it was actually shared. And it's really different. It's um, got this unusual stripes painted in red-coloured, Moorish red, and it's all little arches all through it. It's most incredible building. It's just so if you've got a chance to go there, and of course, I think everyone has heard about Alhambra and that wonderful palace and fortress complex in Granada, and it goes back to the ninth century and it is astonishing. And one of the buildings in it, it's square on the outside and round on the inside with an internal balcony because the uh, king at the time wanted to be able to visibly see everyone. He didn't want them to be hiding in a nook or a cranny, so he had the insert. And, and you look at the columns, they're so perfectly polished and round. And you think about this, this was done in the 13th and 14th century, and you think, we use machines now. Yeah. And this was Not done... Not so by, then. It's, you just look at some of these, and you, some people just look and, yeah, they just look. But you've got to look and think that when it was built and, and the expertise they had in building these magnificent buildings without the equipment we have today. Yeah, if you, if you sort of look with your mind and you mm, think, Not oh, just on. your eye. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these things are fantastic to look at, but when you put it in the context of when they were built, the tools and mm. all the rest of it, it's a it's a whole different experience. And, of course, you've got the works of Anthony Gaudi, of course, in Barcelona, which, of course, we all know he is famous for the uh, La, Familia, La Sagrada Familia, which is still not completed, the famous cathedral, which has been a work. One day. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was killed by um, walking across the road and how he died, which is very sad. But a lot of his other works are just incredible. You can go to the house that he lived in. You can go to all sorts of other, the, the Guell Palace the, and all sorts of wonderful places there in Barcelona that you can observe Anthony Gaudi's works. Uh, Toledo. Now, that is another lovely city. And I remember by it's famous for silver and also knives and, and back going back in further more than knives. They made, you know, the daggers and the... And the the swords and everything, it was very famous for its steel making and, you know, the, the expertise was sought around the world. Um, so it is, again, a very interesting uh, city to visit and you've got the four towers there of the Alcazar, which is a 
which was built in 1085. And Toledo is really very interesting with a wonderful cathedral there as well. And Sevilla, of course, we know the name Sevilla because of oranges. And Valencia is another one, but that isn't on my list today. But again, famous for its oranges for different reasons. And it's got a famous cathedral there as well, which is wonderful. And the other one I haven't done is the Altamira Cave, which is in northern Spain. Now, these caves date back to about 35,000 years ago and said to be the highest quality cave art found anywhere in all of Europe. So it was discovered uh, by a hunter in 1868. And so it's not that old in its being found, of course, but astonishing art, cave art depicting bison, horses, wolves and more. Um, the caves have been sealed, but they have... Um, done a, what they call an amazing replica cave beside the cave entrance because they've sealed it to protect it and preserve it and make it a part of, a, I guess, a museum that's just going to be preserved forever. But, yeah, so Spain's got a lot to offer. And don't forget the food. No, that's the most, always the most important I mean, thing. it's just as important as anything else. Their tantalising tapas and their tapas bars and their perfect paellas and their yumi churros and sangria and their tortillas, their lovely potato omelettes, which are just basically egg and potatoes. But it sounds simple, but they taste so fantastic. So, I mean, and the best time to go, of course, as I always say, is try and go spring or autumn in Europe. Summer is too hot, too busy, unless you're really going skiing or wanting to go in winter, though there is always less crowds in winter but you have such short days which limits the amount of sightseeing that you can do so I, I just like going when it's the end of spring before you know summer really hits when you're getting your days daylight till 10 o'clock at night so you've got plenty of time to just really immerse yourself in both the the culture and the food yeah to get it all in there Sally we're at that part of, the sh of uh, your show where we have a look at some of the hot deals over there so I can see a ton of paperwork let's get into it yeah, I know and we're just talking about um, airlines and so on with Mark offline as well. And just to remind people, honestly, you must get in early. And I know I keep saying this every week, but airlines are booking out so far in advance now because they've still got so many aircraft parked in deserts and they don't have the backup replacement aircraft. So if there is an engineering or a problem that the aircraft needs... To be fixed, this is why we're getting these cancellations, delays, and I'm not making any excuses, but I'm just explaining what, what's happening. So until they get those aircraft back out of the desert and they get all their pilots up trained again and the planes back in, we're always going to have a backup of delays and so on, I think, so for a little while longer. Hopefully towards maybe the middle or end of next year, it'll start to get back mm. to what we thought was almost normal back in 2019. But, yeah, please, just, just get in as early as you can. That's all I can say. So what's the thinking on that, Sally, why, why a lot of those planes are still uh, cotton-balled a little bit? I think they just haven't had the time. They've been inundated, I think, with people wanting to travel and they haven't got, well, you think about Qantas alone, about how many staff they put off. Yeah. So, And they've got lots of engineers and, well, they're lacking a lot of engineers and so on now. And a lot of those people were probably brassed off and don't want to go back or mm -hmm. they took redundancy or they were towards the end of their career. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's a multiple problem, multifaceted mind problem. You, mind you, there's no time to be training new staff when we're counting the uh, pay rise for the CEO. <laughs> oh, and a $4 million bonus on top. <laughs> Don't even, don't even take me there, but that's all right. That's, not, that's, that's another not. story. There are plenty of hot deals, though, around. Yeah, now, there are some lovely river cruise deals happening at the moment, and I mean, every Australian just about loves doing a, a river cruise of some type or other. Um, so this is an um, quite an unbeatable offer where you can save um, an air credit or cruise credit of $1,500 per person. Um, you can get business-grade upgrade, off, upgrade offers, which are really uh, very, very well-priced. So just consider that. And if you want to pay in full within three days of booking, you can get another 10 
1%. That was with UniWorld Cruises, who do a lot of cruises throughout Europe. They're also now doing something new, which I thought was very interesting. It's a cruise and rail of the sacred Ganges and also on the Maharaja Express, which is a luxury train. So you have seven nights cruising aboard the Ganges Voyager 2 and six nights on board the luxury train. Um, You get a night in Delhi as well. Um, And you're visiting some incredible sites within India, of course, naturally Agra to see the Taj Mahal, Jaipur, Jodhpur, etc., Mumbai. You go to visit the Bollywood film industry as well, all sorts of interesting stuff. Gratuities included. There's five, it's all five star. It's absolutely incredible. And this is from Kolkata to Mumbai. It's a 16 day cruise tour rail journey and it's 28th of October next year. Um, Tahiti, I always say that ad, refer to that ad, you know, Ta- Simon Tahiti looks nice, the Cussons ad. Yeah, he moves the entire island to Tahiti. <laughs> but there's some lovely uh, packages available at the moment to Tahiti if you really want to go to somewhere that's absolutely stunning. It's just mind bogglingly beautiful, clear, crystal clear waters and just a really romantic and lovely place to unwind for a getaway. The sale ends the 30th of November and there's lots of packages with flights included starting from around about $2,500 and up to your really five-star luxury resorts if that's what you'd like to do. Um, Inspiring Journeys, who is our Australian company who operates some wonderful journeys. Again, they're more your luxury tours. Now, these are valid up until the 15th of December for touring between April 23 and March 24. Now, the uh, areas they're doing are Australia, New Zealand, Kakadu, um, Tassie, all sorts of the South, uh, New Zealand, again, Long White Cloud, Flavours of South Australia. There's all sorts of discounts there ranging from anything from $100 up to $500 per person on their range of Australian and New Zealand journeys. Um, South Korea is something different to do, again, if you're wanting to do it. And they also, like Japan, have cherry blossoms. So if, for example, Japan's fully booked out, well, you can always go to South Korea. And it's a most interesting country, full of history and culture. And Seoul itself is a very innovative city. It's really beautiful, surrounded by granite mountains. It's, it's quite, quite stunning. And again, you've got some wonderful UNESCO World Heritage Sites there as well. And you can, either, you can even visit the demilitarized zone, which separates North and South Korea. Um, and of course, you can do lots of like kimchi making, cooking and all these sort of things, traditional spa experiences. Um, You go to the famous World Heritage Temple, the Bulguska Temple, and experience its hair ceremony. Lovely. And that's um, April from April next year through to March 2024, and that's a 14-day journey as well. And as I said before, don't forget cherry blossoms also in Japan. It can be short-lived, Mark, as you know here, like Mm. spring is iffy. You you might get your cherry blossoms blossom for two weeks. They might blossom for three. You you can't – it's nature. But usually, generally, you would say end of March into April is is the time that you'd be looking if you're wanting to do cherry blossoms. But if you miss out on that, like both these countries are beautiful in autumn. The autumn colors are delightful. If you want to go like end of September into October, you get those lovely golds and russets and it's quite a stunning time of year to go as well. Yeah, no guarantees. Foliage subject to change. (laughs) I can't promise that. I do not have a crystal ball, but I can only say that you you, you should be lucky that you would at least get a glimpse of one of the other, the, the russets and the golds or the pinks of the lovely cherry blossoms. That's it. That's it. Right, so we've made it to the end. As always, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to another Talking Travel next week. Hopefully some more planes and less passport applications. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.